Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Matthew, chapter 5. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Thus far in our study, Matthew is a Jew writing to the Jews about the king of the Jews. In chapter 1, we've already taken a look at it. Matthew starts out with talking about the heritage of the king, that he is of the royal line of David, and he is of the seed of Abraham. That's Jesus. And then in chapter 2, we see the homage paid to the king as the wise men came, and they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And then in chapter 2 also, we saw hostility toward the king as Herod wanted to destroy him because others were proclaiming him as king. And then in chapter 3, we see the heralding of the king as the rough and the rugged John the Baptist comes on the scene and he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he's standing there looking kind of weird. Got a mohair suit, camel hair suit, grasshopper legs hanging out of his mouth, eating wild honey. And he says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then we saw Jesus who was baptized. And when Jesus came up out of the water there in chapter 3, the, the Bible says that a dove descended upon him in the form of the Holy Spirit. And we heard a voice from heaven that said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him there in chapter 3. And then the last time we were together, we talked about the horror of Satan as he harassed and challenged the king and tempted Jesus in the wilderness. But Jesus was victorious over temptation. And you can be victorious over temptation. We talked about that in the previous study. Which brings us to chapter 5. Here in chapter 5, now get your pen out and get your pad because you're going to need it. Here in chapter 5, we see the happiness of both the king and his disciples. As Jesus and his disciples are gathered on the mountain, Jesus teaches them about true happiness, true blessedness. What we're looking at, what we're going to be studying today is known as the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes. These are 109 of some of the most powerful verses in the Bible. It was in his book, J.T. Fisher, in his book, A Few Missing Buttons. He said this, if you were to take the sum total of all authoritative articles ever written by most qualified of psychologists and psychiatrists on the subject of mental hygiene, If you were to combine them and refine them and cleave out all the excess verbiage, 
If you were to have these unadulterated bits of pure scientific knowledge concisely expressed by the most capable of living poets, you would have an awkward and incomplete summation of the Sermon on the Mount, and it would suffer immeasurably by comparison. I like that. It's true. Here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives his disciples a formula for biblical happiness. Now, as you know, in the United States Constitution, we are guaranteed the right to life, you know it, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But have you noticed the pursuit of happiness is often very elusive? Why? Because the world's happiness largely depends on good things happening. If your bills are paid, if the skies are blue, if all the traffic lights are green, well, I'm happy. But if I'm not feeling well, or I've been laid off of work, or I'm facing a challenge, then I'm unhappy. You see, the world's happiness depends on outward circumstances. But the happiness that Jesus gives to his disciples, to those who would follow him, is not a happiness that is dependent on outward circumstances. The happiness, the joy that Jesus gives, has everything to do with the inward transformation that takes place in the life of the believer by the Holy Spirit. I like to call it a quiet confidence. If you know what I mean, raise your hand. Uh, just there you that's most of y'all. Thank you, Lord. There's a quiet confidence. Things are nuts. Has your life ever been out of control? I mean, everything seems to be going wrong. You ever have one of those days in which you wish you were dead? I just I just don't want to live. That's it. That's it. I, want, I want it to be over. That's enough in one day. And you go, I can't take it anymore. But then the Holy Spirit comes in. And there's a quiet confidence in your, in your soul and in your spirit that says, you know what? It's going to be all right. And that's the, that's the Lord calming you down. You don't need Prozac. I mean, not unless you need Prozac. <laughs> okay. <laughs> don't stop taking your meds because I said so. Okay. <laughs> Be trying to sue the pastor. I know how y'all are, see. Not the Christian. No, no. Our happiness is not depending on outward circumstance, but an inward transformation. You know, last week I was traveling, as I mentioned, and uh, I happened, you know, you're on the plane and and, and just uh, trying not to be really nervous because you think the plane's going to drop out of the sky. And um, you, <laughs> that's another story. But, but I'm, on a, I'm on a plane, and, and, and uh, there's the magazine in front of me, so I just kind of pick it up, and I'm just killing some time. I open the magazine, and, and I happen on an article um, about Madonna, who is getting a lot of press. She has a song out, perhaps you know, called American Life. And in this song, Ameri- with this song, American Life, she has a video um, with the song. And in the video, she is pictured taking a hand grenade and tossing it into the lap of President Bush, her press people. And she decided not to release this video in the United States, but she released it in Europe. But the interesting thing about this song, as I was reading it, she's talking about 
the American life. She's talking about the American dream. And in the song, she's pointing out that she has all the things that she needs and could ever want. She has everything. She's done everything. And yet she's not happy. Yet she's not fulfilled. Now, here are part of the lyrics to the song, and and I won't sing them for you. I'll uh, quote them. Quote, she says, I tried to be a boy. I tried to be a girl. I tried to be a mess. I tried to be the best. I guess I did it wrong. That's why I wrote this song. I've got a lawyer and a manager and an agent and a chef, three nannies and an assistant, a driver and a jet, a trainer and a butler, a bodyguard or five, a gardener and a stylist. Do you think I'm satisfied? Well, let's see. No. I don't think you're satisfied. Why? Because in that same song, she goes on to say, I'm not a Christian and I'm not a Jew. I'm not a Christian and I'm not a Jew. You know, that's kind of the attitude she has. Well, I know why you're not happy, Madonna, because you've left God out of the equation. That's the problem. You're not a Christian. Because if you put God in the equation of life, you will be happy. You will find happiness. Madonna is living the American dream, but she's not satisfied because she doesn't have God. Because when you take Jesus into your life, and I can tell you, I have never met a Christian. Listen, I have listened. I have never met a Christian who is walking with God, who is loving God with their with their whole heart, mind and soul that has ever told me I'm not happy. Because in the Lord, there's contentment, there's peace in the Lord, there's joy in the Lord. In the presence of the Lord, the psalmist said, is the fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures evermore. You're not happy? You're not satisfied? That's because you've left God out of the equation. And so here in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes, Jesus tells us how we can experience personal happiness. How can you be happy? Jesus tells us how we can be happy. We're going to do one of a two-part teaching on who is the happy person. Who is the happy person? One of two parts. You'll have to come back next week to get the next part. But what you'll see here in chapter 5 is nine characteristics of the happy person. We're going to look at four of them. Number one, how can you be happy? Well, number one, who is the happy person? Those who are, number one, poor in spirit. You'll find that in verse 3. And then secondly, who's the happy person? Those who mourn. Over their sin. You'll find that in verse 4. And then thirdly, who is the happy person? Those who are meek. Not weak, but meek. And we'll talk about that. You'll find that in verse 5. And then lastly, who is the happy person? Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You'll find that in verse 6. Notice in your Bibles, take your Bible, go with me to Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Saints, if you're there, say a hearty amen. Amen. And seeing the multitude in verse 1. I love that verse. I love those words. Jesus sees the multitude. 
and you search the scriptures all throughout the Gospels as you trek along with the life of Jesus. Whenever there was a multitude, Jesus saw them. He stopped and talked to them. Jesus loved people, and people loved Jesus. It's interesting. People love Jesus because Jesus loved people. Well, Ronnie, nobody loves me. Well, start loving people. See the multitude. See the people. You know, sometimes we get so busy in ministry. I'm guilty of it. Don't don't misunderstand me. Preaching in the choir now. Get so busy in ministry that you forget about people. So busy serving the Lord that you forget the ministry is about people. That's a whole other sermon, but... And seeing the multitude, verse 1, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, very important, his disciples came to him. And then he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Next week, we'll deal with these next verses. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and people say all kinds of evil things against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice in verse 12 and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now stop right there. Notice Jesus looked out. He saw the multitudes. He went up in the mountain and his disciples came to him. Now, when the Bible says his disciples came to him, you got to understand that there were more than 12 disciples. Many, many, many thousands of people followed Jesus. Now, granted, people followed Jesus for different reasons. Some people followed him because they were convinced of who he was. Some people followed him because they were committed. Some people followed him because they were curious. Some curious, some convinced, and some committed. Doesn't that beg the question, why are you following him? Are you just curious? There's a lot of people who come to church. There's a lot of people who attend this fellowship. And there are many, many people who attend this fellowship because they are simply curious. And curiosity is good. Some people are curious, and some people are committed to Jesus. They are just committed. Some are convinced of who he is, which causes them to be committed. I wonder, why do you follow him? Where are you? Ask yourself that question even now. Lord, where am I? Am I curious? Am I convinced? Or am I committed? Many people are following Jesus for many, many different reasons. So Jesus goes up on the mountain and he sits down and he begins to teach. 
Now, when Jesus sat down, you got to understand that just with Jesus sitting down, he is claiming, making a statement that he is a rabbi, that he is a teacher. Because in those days, in the Jewish culture, when a teacher would teach the word, he would sit down and the people would stand, which I like that idea. Matter of fact, let's just do it right now. So Jesus sits down, and out of his mouth come some very shocking words to the hearer. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, if you're taking notes, you know I encourage you to do so. The word blessed or blessed means, oh, how happy. It means fortunate. It means a blissful state of happiness. Blessed implies inner satisfaction and sufficiency that does not depend on outward circumstance. This blessing isn't subject to fate. In other words, this blessing was so concrete that no matter what your circumstances were, it couldn't be moved. You were still blessed. And so these words coming from the lips of Jesus were shocking and different than anything that they had ever heard. The word blessed, it's used 302 times in the Bible. And in various forms, Hebrew, Greek, it's used 513 times. In the Hebrew language, the word blessed is Baruch. If you walk into a Jewish synagogue, you will hear people say, Baruch Hashem Adonai Elohim, which means blessed is the name of the Lord God. If you walk into a Messianic fellowship, that is a church where Jewish people have given their lives to Jesus. And now they're Christians, they're Messianic Jews. If you walk into a Messianic fellowship, you will hear people say, Baruch Hashem Adonai Elohim Yeshua HaMashiach, which means blessed be the name of the Lord God, Jesus, our Messiah. And in the Greek language, the word blessed is makarios, and it's used 85 times in the New Testament, and 18 of those 85 times are in Matthew, and nine of them are in this chapter that we're looking at this morning. So half of the usage of the word blessed in the book of Matthew is right here in Matthew chapter 5. So Jesus is saying, you will be happy, you will be fortunate, you will be in a blissful state if you are poor in spirit. Notice he didn't say you'll be happy, fortunate, in a blissful state if you are rich. Although that helps. But he didn't say that. <laughs> Just kidding. He said you'll be happy, you'll be fortunate, you'll be in a blissful state if you are poor in spirit. Now, in the Greek language, the word poor, they have two words for the word poor. In the English language, our language is more limited than the Greek language. The Greek language is more expansive. That's why when you hear teachers giving you Greek words, that's because in the Greek language, the Greek language is bigger than the English language. In the Greek language, there are two words for poor. One of them means you're short on cash, meaning you, which is kind of most of us, I guess, <laughs> which means you live paycheck to paycheck, you know, day to day, short on cash. The other means, and this is the one that Jesus is using, it means you have nothing at all. 
and you're empty of anything worthwhile. You're totally destitute. You are something or someone no one would want at all. Now, the Greeks taught that this word you would never even say of a dog. You're worthless. You have nothing. To be poor in spirit means you know that you are lost, you're needy, and there isn't one thing in your life that is worthwhile. This is the word that Jesus is using. He's saying you are most blessed when you are poor and lost and needy. The happy person sees that they are desperate and dependent on God for help. They're spiritually destitute. And this is pretty radical teaching coming from Jesus because before you and I can come into a relationship with God, we must realize that we are spiritually destitute and bankrupt. We're not good. Regardless of your social standing or your wealth, regardless of how often you attend church, regardless of your knowledge of the Bible, if you're going to be saved and you are going to be born again and you're going to come into a relationship with God, you must admit that you're a sinner and without God, there is no help for you. You are lost. And if you cannot admit that, the Bible is clear. You cannot be saved. We're lost. We have nothing to give God. Why do we think that we have some kind of goodness in and of ourselves? We think that we're some trophy on God's table. And we've got something good to give God. No, we don't. We are lost and destitute. And without him, we're nothing. We have nothing worthwhile to offer him at all. The Bible's clear about that. Now, this, again, is some radical teaching. It's radical teaching in Jesus' day, and it's radical teaching in our day. Because the world has given you a very different message today. The world will tell you, look, if you're poor in spirit, you're a wimp. The world will tell you that if you want to succeed in life, you've got to force your way. The world will tell you, blessed are the movers and the shakers, the powerful and the prominent. The world will tell you the way up is up. The word will tell you the way up is down. The Bible says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you or lift you up. You see, the psychology and the mindset of the Christian is diametrically opposed to the psychology and the mindset of the world. You see, the world will tell you, do what is necessary to have life. The word will tell you, if you want to save your life, you have to lose it. If you want to save your life, you've got to lose it, and then you'll find it. And so Jesus says you are most blessed when you realize that you are poor in spirit and you have nothing at all. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And God will take the totally destitute person who puts their trust in him and make him a part of the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Which brings us to our next point. Point number two, who is the happy person? Those who mourn. Those who mourn. You find that in verse four. Now, you don't have to look very far to see that there is a lot of mourning in the world today. April 19th. Just thinking about this last night, April 19th, 1995, 9.03 a.m., 
The Oklahoma City Federal Building was bombed, leaving 168 dead, and it left the United States in mourning. April 20th, 1999, 15 people dead as a result of the Columbine High School shooting. Who can forget? Who will ever forget? Who will ever forget? September the 11th, 4,000 people dead and missing. How sad. The world is in mourning. The war on Iraq just this year. People are mourning. But that's not quite what Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about that type of mourning. I remember when I was a kid, you know how you can remember things when you were like four or five years old. This lady, she, she took me to a Pentecostal church. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccary.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.